Portland Cornerstone University. Woo! That gets me fired up. I have been waiting two years to say that. They finally gave me a microphone up here. I don't know why, but we're gonna roll with it and we're gonna have a ton of fun this morning. I'm gonna try to bring the energy and I ask that you bring the same back to me. Is that fair? Absolutely. Uh, as Tate said, uh, I am the RD of the one and only Quincer Hall right over there. Let's hear it for Quincer. Yeah, all my Q boys out there. Um, and I'm also the assistant coach of the wrestling team, so I see a couple. Of, yeah, there we go. Big Joe Lashway over there. Um, and so uh, I love the student body here at Cornerstone University. Looking out at all of you, you all look beautiful today. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, this is truly one of the greatest joys that I have in life. Um, but I have a very special place in my heart for the Q boys, right? Um, and to my group from last year, those of you who are here, I love you dearly. Thank you for giving me like maybe one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life of being able to walk with you all of last year. That was just an incredible year. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And to this year's Q boys, um, I love you all dearly. And we're just getting started. We've got a whole nother semester left to go. Uh, lots of exciting things in store. Welcome back from Thanksgiving break. I hope that it was uh, restful, but I want you to uh, raise your hands and be totally honest with yourself. If you found it restful and you feel rejuvenated and you are ready to go and attack the last three weeks of the semester, raise your hands. All right, that's a, that's a pretty good number right there. All right, and now uh, raise your hand if you are absolutely dreading the next two weeks and you're ready to be done and you're like, I did not want to come back. Yeah, all right, see, there you go. There's a little more realistic. So if uh, the person next to you or you yourself said, uh, nah, fam, I'm not about it, then I want you to turn to them and say, hey, bro, or hey, girl, or what up, queen, and say, fix your attitude. Today is the best day ever. All right, now that we are all in the, in the right headspace here, um, today is gonna be the best day ever. Do you believe that, right? You have the gift of today, and you have the opportunity of a lifetime to attend Cornerstone University right here, right? There are millions of people who would sacrifice everything for themselves or for their kids to have the opportunity that you have to come here and attend Cornerstone University so be grateful for this opportunity. Always view this out of gratitude, never out of obligation that you get to come here. Don't waste your opportunity here at Cornerstone University. Um, I've seen a lot of Christian colleges, all shapes and sizes, um, you know, from the biggest to the smallest. Uh, and I love Cornerstone University from the bottom of my heart. And I love all the people here. So uh, quick round of applause for Cornerstone. Awesome. So while I was trying to uh, come up with what I wanted to share this morning, I got like kind of nervous. Um, I've never preached before. This is my first time ever preaching. So um, they basically said, they're like, hey, do you want to speak in chapel? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, try to be a yes man. Um, and so I, I kind of felt this pressure. I was flip-flopping around a few different ideas and I felt a pressure to become a preacher um, and unleash some like beautiful exegesis, right? And like unpack the entire book of Revelation for you guys in 30 minutes, which like, if you guys know me, that's just not really me. So I felt this pressure to be something that I wasn't, um, but upon talking to a friend, I was reminded of the uh, classic reassurance to just be yourself, right? Um, and so 
part of the reason that I chose to come work at Cornerstone in the capacities that I do is to walk with students through the good, bad, and the ugly, right? To see you at your highest of highs and the lowest of lows um, and to be able to be a part of that. And so I remember um, the whole cast of characters that was with me through that entire college experience, right? All of the trials and tribulations that come with going through college. Um, and I don't know if I really appreciated them in the time that I had them, um, but I, I felt like I owed a debt of gratitude to them. And so that's you know largely the reason that I'm here is to walk with college students through those times. Um, and to varying degrees that I've gotten to know some of you, um, but like I said, I love you all um, and really happy to be here. So I figured that in light of that, I would work from a passage that I kind of felt um, really influenced me while I was going to school. Um, if you don't know where I went to school, I'll give you a clue. Uh, they are about to be the greatest snub in the history of the college football playoff um, because they are 12-0, soon-to-be Conference USA champions, and they're not going to get into the playoff because apparently a one-loss Alabama or a one-loss Texas is better than the Liberty Flames. Um, so, greatest snub in college football playoff history, but whatever. Uh, anywho, while I was there, every day, I would walk past this stairwell, this stairwell, and they had a verse painted up on the stairwell. It was the stairway that went down to the basketball locker room. And the verse that they had painted up there, and the verse that they had was 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so I called this message, I chose for the title, I said fearless, named after the 2008 Grammy Award winning masterpiece by Taylor Swift, Fearless. Right, huge Swifty, um, love Taylor Swift, but uh, obviously it means much more than that. So, uh, right, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Some translations say timidity instead of fear and love, discipline, and a sound mind, however you wanna phrase that. Um, and so I remember seeing that verse every day and I, it really got me pumped up, you know? And so as I was going through my first semester or two of college, um, all these things that were hard and difficult and I'd be like, no fear, no fear. You know, it kind of became my uh, Philippians 4.13 verse. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gave me strength. But I would pull this verse and I would say, God did not give me a spirit of fear. And so whenever I had to do something that was difficult or challenging, right, I'm about to go in for a long homework assignment or a difficult workout or something, I would always be like, no fear, no fear, no fear. Second Timothy 1, 7, right? And I thought I was hard, but whatever. Um, so it took me a while to get around to reading the whole passage and kind of trying to understand this within context, right? It was a great verse to just kind of pull out and... Um, and use just that one line. But in understanding the context of it, there's a much larger calling than difficult homework assignments or difficult workouts, right? The calling is much, much larger than that. So I'll read to you um, what the passage says. We'll talk about it for a little bit. So here we go. Second Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, 
which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So, to set the stage, First uh, and Second Timothy are letters written by Paul the Apostle to Timothy. Timothy was a younger church leader, and Paul and Timothy had sort of a uh, mentor and mentee relationship. Um, and so Timothy went around preaching the gospel of Christ under the guidance of Paul. Um, and so in the opening greeting here, right, we can see uh, the intense love of Paul for Timothy when he says, when he says, uh, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. As I remember your tears. And, um, and he remembers him constantly in his prayers day and night. And I think that we all, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in an opportunity where you get to uh, work closely with somebody that you watch their development, whether it's a teaching role or a coaching role um, or something where you have the opportunity to influence somebody. Um, but Paul is not messing around here, right? Paul clearly feels these very deep emotions for his friend Timothy. Um, and so that is one of the greatest relationships that you can have is like mentor and mentee, and I don't know who you've had in your life that has been that person for you, um, but they desperately, desperately care about you, and I love the line, as I remember your tears, man, you know, the people who have held us when we cry, right? Those are the people who long to see us the most. Those are the people who care about us the most, um, and it's often, you know, a parent, maybe an aunt or an uncle, a pastor, a coach, or a friend, um, these people long for you and learn and yearn for you, right? These people want to be with you. And I think a lot of the time we can have this uh, posture of taking for granted these relationships of these people that pour into us. Um, and I just want to remind us all, and I, I'm preaching to myself here, do not forsake the people who long for you and yearn for you, right? Those people who are chasing you down, don't blow them off. Give them the time of day. That text from your, you know, you're maybe in your sophomore year of college and you get that text from your youth pastor that's just like out of the blue and you're like, why are they texting me? Don't blow that off. Take those relationships seriously um, and, and realize the lineage, right, and what your uh, mentors are trying to do in your life of trying to uh, promote the gospel through generations, right? They're trying to train you up to go out and do the same thing and to preach the gospel right as the generations move on here. So don't blow off those relationships. Um, and we are all trying to improve together, right? They, uh, they are with you. Um, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That says that in Ecclesiastes. And so this uh, bond between you and a mentor and the Holy Spirit, right? That's your cord of three strands, not easily broken. Um, very well supported. So uh, between you and another person and the Holy Spirit, we can find connection and support. Um, and so very important to remember, so take those relationships seriously. Um, and then we are also often a product of our support systems and those who pour into us, particularly our family. So how many of you would say that your parents were a primary, uh, a primary part in your uh, finding of faith? How many of you guys would say that? Yeah, wow, look at those hands. Um, and Paul talks about that in uh, this letter. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Right, this is familial. It's get, it gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, and so if your parents instilled in you a sincere faith, thank them for that foundation, right? I went through kind of a phase where um, I was a little bit rebellious to my parents, and I was like... Uh, 
kind of mad at the church that I grew up in, and we have all this attitude and whatnot. And, and that can be hard, and that cynicism is very real. Uh, I think it can live inside a lot of us. But at the end of the day, like, we should be thankful for the faith that our parents have instilled in us, and we should be seeking to model that for our future generations, right? If we are to have, have kids someday, um, raise your children up in the way of the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if your parents did that and took that seriously, that is something that you should be trying to carry on uh, in your future so that we can continue uh, to keep the church alive and uh, keep everything moving in the right direction within our family structures. Um, and it's left to us as the next generation to keep that faith alive in our offspring and our homes. Um, and whether it is your biological parents or possibly more, more of a spiritual parent, right? Maybe your parents weren't believers uh, and you came to know the Lord through a pastor or a friend or um, somebody that you just randomly came into contact with. Um, thank those people as well and make sure you keep the flame alive um, and keep alive the gospel of Christ if it has been placed in you. And also, if you're kind of the first uh, in a generation, if you need to be the first, then be the first. Um, if Lois would not have caught her faith, right? So Lois, the grandmother of Timothy, caught her faith um, early on, and then she uh, gave it down to her daughter, and then eventually to Timothy, who played a massive role in the early stages of the church. So don't be afraid to be the first in uh, the lineage of faith. Next part of this passage says, and for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This always makes me think there's a funny song we used to sing at Liberty. It was by a rapper named Humble Tip. So he wrote this song for Liberty, and it went, fan the flames, make it hot, make it hot. Fan the flames, 500 degrees. Fan the flames, make it hot, make it hot. What? This is Liberty. Oh. And so that was kind of, right. So that was the... Wow, thank you. I did not think that that would, I did not think that that would resonate so strongly with you guys. But that was Humble Tip, and so there was, there was this video that would go around, and like, and so when I showed up my freshman year, that was like all the rage, was Humble T.I.P. on the M.I.C. Um, and so it was this big thing, uh, and I was always like, this is so freaking cheesy. Like, where does this even come from? What is he talking about? But... Come to find out, this is scripture. Fan into flame the gift of God that was put inside of you by the laying on of hands, right? And so we have a responsibility to continue to fan the flame. It is not transferred and then it just exists in full form for us to use at our disposal whenever we feel like it, right? It must be tended to. Like a child needs food, like a fire needs oxygen, like a field of crops needs water, right? This must be tended to. Have any of you guys been camping before? Yeah? And you start your fire, and then you go to the beach or whatever, and you hang out and whatever, and you come back, and the fire's all gone, and there's just a little bit of that ember, right? And you try to, uh, to reignite the fire, right? And you get all the paper out and your lighter ran out of uh, lighter fluid and so you can't get it going again and it's just, oh, it's the worst. So you're, you know, blowing on that fire, putting all these dry leaves on it, trying to get it going. It's very hard to get it going when you completely ignore it and let the ember burn out. It can be very, very hard to reignite. Um, however, though, opposite of that, if there is a large fire, all you need to do is keep feeding logs to it, right? And that will promote itself. Um, so if you have that fire in a good spot, tend to it. 
Um, I let my fire die a little bit too much at times and it was hard to reignite. It is not easy. So if you have that fire, keep tending to it and you can make it strong and bright. I was at, uh, about a month ago, I was at a Spartan race. Are you guys familiar with what Spartan races are? And it was in the morning and it was just pouring buckets of rain and it was like 35 degrees and I was absolutely miserable. But I looked across the field and I saw in the pouring rain, these massive blazing bonfires. And I was like, how the heck are there these massive bonfires when it's pouring rain? And it's because they got it going and they started to feed the fire, right? And it got huge and it was burning hot and bright and it's pouring rain. But not even the pouring rain could put out this massive fire because they had tended to it so well. So if you have the opportunity to tend to your fire, build it up because then when the storms come, right, it's gonna have a lot harder time extinguishing the fire um, and the fire can also be extinguished through inaction or ignorance, right? If we just choose to ignore it, the fire will go out. Um, so we cannot neglect to fan into flame the gift of God. Um, Paul speaks of the practice of laying off hands. Uh, how many of you participate in some sort of like graduation thing at your church or some sort of send off for maybe a mission trip or something where they laid hands on you and prayed over you? That fair amount, right? Um, very powerful um, practice that we do in the church. Uh, and so I commend or I recommend keeping that practice going. Um, very important. I, I have a particular story about laying out of hands. There was a, a man by the name of Justin McFarland who was my youth pastor when I was in high school and we did the same thing. So graduation Sunday rolls around, boom, laying out of hands. Uh, they send us all off. And I would say that he and my parents and my home church uh, as far as like the metaphor of fire goes, they were coming at me with like dry seasoned firewood and dry leaves and like a flamethrower trying to get the fire ignited in me. And I was like, uh, I don't know, you know, like, and so if you have that, be grateful for that opportunity. Lean into that. There are people who love you and care about you. Don't be so cynical and negative. Don't run away from it, right? Lean into it. It's good for you. Um, but that flame was instilled in me. And I had a, and they burned, they stoked it up so bright that I had a hard time, it, like, despite my best efforts, right, it kept burning. So I thank them for that. But uh, Justin McFarland, huge mentor to me, um, and he laid hands on me, and I don't even think I knew what was happening in the moment, but um, his impact on me is felt many years down the road. Um, so, so the final verse in this is my, is my like, no fear verse, right? Um, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Power, love, self-control. Beautiful, beautiful words, great qualities that we should strive to have. Um, and so in this context, though, Paul is really talking to Timothy about um, the call to evangelize the next generation basically within the homes or within close-knit groups, basically mentoring the next generation. Um, and so we must not fear the responsibility yielded to us of instilling faith in future, future generations. This is what Paul is talking about. He says, not a spirit of fear. You shouldn't be scared of this calling, right? You have power, love, and self-control. We must learn from the examples of those who have gone before and demonstrated the spirit of power and love and sound-mindedness. How many times have we backed down from a call due to fear, right? This is one of the highest calls that we have in our lives is to evangelize the next generation. And currently, a lot of people view us as the next generation, but soon enough, we're gonna be in a position where, you know, we're all in our mid-30s and there's a bunch of these teenagers coming up and we're gonna be like, these kids are doomed, right? Just like people are saying about us right now. And whenever I hear old people talk about, like, 
the next generation is doomed, I'm like, you have never met the students of Cornerstone University because we stand right up to that. Um, and so uh, this is one of the highest calls and we cannot shrink away from it. I used to use this verse, right, as like a hype up verse. Um, and sure, it can be that. Um, and if you wanna use it to inspire you, great. But this admonishment is for uh, the here and now and to encourage us to uh, victory in the good handling of our earthly scenarios as well as for the eternal salvation of the generations to come. And the call is great, so do not fear it. Um, but I saw this imitated in a mentor of mine, right? These qualities, no fear, uh, power, love, self-control. Um, he was actually the father, so the youth pastor I just spoke about, Justin McFarland, he's actually the father of Justin. His name was Tim McFarland. Um, and he was the kind of guy that when you talk to him, you would like think he was far bigger than he actually was. So if you had a five minute conversation with you and somebody pulled you aside and they were like, how big do you think that man was? You'd go like, I think he was probably like 6'5", 260. Like he's a, like a big dude. Come to find out he's like 5'10", 200 pounds, right? So he, but like he had that image about him. He had a thick leathery brown skin, just a hardworking man. He was a tree trimmer and a lineman for consumers. So he would go into hurricanes and reestablish power. Um, and he had this big, thick mustache, and he, uh, and he was the owner of a tree trimming company that I worked for, and we always tried to get him to uh, do contracts with customers, and he never would because he would always say, my handshake is my contract, and he was one of those kind of guys, and if you shook his hand, you would know what he was talking about, right? So he had these massive hands, just this like Man that kind of, uh, he commanded my respect and I loved him dearly and he was a great friend of mine and he had all the power in the world. He could cut a half inch steel cable with a pocket knife um, and just like, just basically a real life superhero, right? Really impressive man. Um, and so this was in 2020, I was working for him and we had just done this huge job. Um, it, we took about a week doing it and I was driving back one of our trucks and I had a full load of logs in the truck, and we're driving back to the lot, it's like 6 p.m. on a hot summer day, um, and I was just ready to get back, it was a Friday night, we were done with the work week, and so I'm driving this massive truck back, Tim's in front of me in the pickup, and he goes zooming through a yellow light because he had a lead foot, and so I'm following behind him, and I'm like, I think I can make this light, and actually Justin, his son, was in the truck with me, and so I'm driving, and I think I can make this light, but little did I know, the uh, gentleman on the, uh, in the other side of the intersection, it's one of those lights where you can kind of see the other light, right? And he knew what was coming. And so he kind of started inching out in the intersection. I didn't see him. I go blowing through this intersection and I hit the front end of this car and <laughs> spin the first car around. And my truck jumps over into the other lane and I smash three other cars, just <laughs> go barreling through them in this massive dump truck with this big load of logs in it. All of a sudden, my truck catches on fire, but the doors had been like smashed up, so we couldn't open the doors. So it's me and his son, Justin, are in this truck. The truck's on fire. Me and Justin jump out the windows, and my first initial thought was I had killed somebody, right? I, like, I thought worst-case scenario instantly. It was absolutely terrifying, um, one of the scariest experiences of my life. And so I get out of the truck. I'm going hysterical. Justin's a little bit hysterical. We're both kind of freaking out, and Tim wasn't there. He had made it back to the lot. Anywho, we were about a minute away from the lot and he saw these sirens and trucks passing by and he got this bad feeling in his stomach. So Tim drives back from the lot and I'm hysterical on the side of the road. 
Come to find out, nobody was hurt, nobody was injured, uh, an absolute miracle. I ended up about a foot away from the primary electrical lines where if you hit those and they fall, that's bad news. Um, and so just like an absolute miracle that nobody was hurt. And Tim drives back, and I remember saying to Justin in this moment, I said, I said, your dad is going to kill me. And Justin looks at me, he goes, no, he's not, right? And so Tim jumps out of his truck, and I'm just like, I'm absolutely panicking. There's this huge pit in my stomach, and I'm like, I just wrecked this dude's truck. The insurance rates after this are just gonna be monstrous. I'm absolutely terrified, right? And Tim, right, they've got all of this uh, accident kind of roped off and whatnot, and Tim just gets out of the truck, and he just makes a beeline right through all of the accident. The cop is trying to like hold him out of the way, and he just gets out of his truck, parks it right in the middle, and he just marches across the scene of the accident, right? And he makes a beeline right to me, and he comes up, and he just gives me the biggest hug ever while I'm sobbing, and he says, hey man, it's gonna be okay. And he was like 65 at the time, and I was just like so enveloped in emotion, where, and he just sits there rubbing my back. He could not have cared less about his truck Right? He could not have cared less about what was gonna happen after that. Um, all he cared about was going to me. And I thought that in that moment, he just demonstrated this like power and love and self-control. And then the first guy that I had hit came out of his car and he comes up to me while well, I'm hysterical on the side of the road. And Tim had this uh, little red hatchet that he had carried over from the truck. I don't know why he had this hatchet, but he had a hatchet. <laughs> and the, guy, the first guy that I hit came over to me and he, and he comes in and he leans in while me and Tim are talking and he goes, he goes, hey buddy, just want you to know, my light was green. And I was like, okay. And Tim turns around with his hatchet <laughs> and he starts walking up to him and he says, you better learn to look both ways, buddy, before I take you out, right? And starts yelling at this guy. And you should have seen the fear in this man's eyes when he turned around and he ran right back to his truck. And I thought, man, that's power right there, right? He comes to me with love and he holds me when I needed him. And then he responded with power to chase that man away. And he knew exactly when to do both of those, which is self-control, right? He had power and he had love and he had the self-control to know, right? But that's just the example of an earthly father figure or an earthly mentor, right? How much more does our heavenly father care for us, right? How much more does our heavenly father chase off people who come and try to tell us lies about ourselves when we're at our lowest already, right? Our heavenly father chases them away with a little red hatchet, right? And he'll march right through the scene of the accident and come to you. When you think that you've messed everything up and that you've screwed everything up and you're like, there's no way I can be forgiven, right? God shows up to the scene of the accident, pulls up his truck, opens the door, and he marches across the scene of the accident straight to you, and he grabs you and he holds you and says, it's gonna be okay. Then he chases off your enemy, right? And then, so that was a Friday. I show up Monday, back for work, right? Pull up, Tim's there, and I'm like, all right, the last thing I wanna do is drive. But you know what, it's eight o'clock in the morning, I get out of my car, Tim looks at me and he says, get in the truck, you're driving. And I said, oh no. And so he has me drive the big dump truck literally two days after I had that accident. And sometimes that's what God says to us, right? We think that we've messed it all up and we get back and God says, hey, listen, 
you got to get back in the truck, you know, and you just have to keep driving. And Tim had that belief and that confidence in me. We went on that year to end up crushing our yearly sales records, right? It was a great year, but that experience was, uh, was pretty crazy. Eight months later, my friend Tim, my mentor, died suddenly from a heart attack, um, passed away, absolutely crushing blow to me. Uh, I remember hearing that news and I was just an absolute mess, just curled up on my floor crying. One of, the, one of the people I was closest to at that time, you know, we spent 50, 60 hours a week together every week and me and his family, super, super tight, right? His son, Justin, one of my closest friends. His son, Jason, one of my closest friends. Um, and he passed away and he owned this business and we had no idea what to do, right? And I sat there with the family and we're all sitting in this room. But Tim... Tim fanned the flame in his own family, right? His kids loved the Lord, and they were resilient, and they had no fear. His kids had power and love and self-control because he fanned the flame. And so I'm sitting there with the family, and despite our grief, we were thinking, what do we do with this business, right? How on earth do we overcome this hardship? And we had uh, suitors trying to buy the business for lowball offers and this, that, and the other thing, um, and... The, the family, just a model of resiliency and absolutely no fear. Um, and they said, it was basically the same attitude that Tim had with me. They were like, well, I guess we just gotta get back in the truck and be resilient. Uh, and then my brother came and actually moved home to come and work with us. And my brother, another man, no fear, just power, love, and self-control, right? Two years down the road, my brother ends up buying the company from the McFarland family. Uh, and here we are. And so it's really been kind of a beautiful, redemptive situation. I still work with all of the, uh, all of the family, but um, fanning the flame. Tim was a man who fanned the flame, right, and carried it on his own family, a dear friend and a mentor of mine. Um, and he, he had no fear inside of him, just no fear. And because fear will cause you to worship earthly things, um, but love and power and self-control, that'll cause you to focus on the things above, the things that really matter. Uh, and when uh, my brother always talks about the analogy of there's a cup, right? And when a cup is just sitting there, you can't tell what's inside of the cup. You have no idea. But if somebody comes along and boom, starts shaking the cup, you instantly see what's inside of it. Um, and when Tim was shaken, right, you instantly saw what was inside of him. A lot of people, when they're shaken, they respond in fear, right? They get defensive and they, they start doubting themselves and they crumble, but when he was shaken, he responded with power and with love and with self-control. Um, and all of the mentors I've had in my life, right, they respond with power, love, and self-control. Uh, and so how are we gonna be that, right? When we get in those situations and our cup is starting to be shaken um, and we have these people in life who are counting on us and we have the church in more or less counting on us to carry on uh, this tradition, right, and fan the flame and keep the faith alive, when we're shaken, what is gonna come out, right? Are we gonna be fearful? Are we gonna be cowardly? No, we're gonna have power, love, and self-control. I love you guys dearly. We're gonna pray it out, and then you're gonna be dismissed. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for this student body um, and for all of the giftings that you've given them and for the abilities and the unique special talents and all of their individual stories and how they're gonna go out past this place and impact the world for you. Um, we pray for your uh, continued blessing on this school. 
Um, and I pray for each of these students as they go through these last three weeks that they will absolutely crush exams, that they will feel motivated, that they will feel happy to be here, that they will engage in all of their uh, social activities, and that they will really ha uh, be able to get the most out of what you have for them uh, in their experience at Cornerstone. I pray for us as we become the next generation and that we're able to, uh, to evangelize and keep the, fl the flame alive and keep the faith alive. Uh, we love you dearly, God. Thank you so much for everything that you do for us. Um, and once again, give us just the best three weeks in the end of the semester here and help us to do everything for your honor and for your glory. We love you dearly. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. <laughs>